Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. This is part two of the episode from yesterday. So uh, I just wanted to have a quick announcement here, by the way. Uh, we got all kinds of new Southern Outdoorsman merch back in. We got all kinds of hats back in stock. So y'all, make sure to go check that out. And uh, other than that, Jacob, you got anything else before we jump into part two? Nope, just go down to the show notes below on the podcast, guys. You can look at the merchandise there or just go over to the Southern Outdoorsman dot com the website and you can go to the shop page there and check out all the new apparel so no this has been a fantastic episode and a, a little mini series here a little part one part two series. you like part part one or part two more i don't know it gets really juicy part two <laughs> so it gets real juicy. i think i like part two the most yeah so you, you know guys tune in make sure you stay tuned uh you don't want to miss this episode guys and i promise you we're going to have a ton of listener success stories so take some notes implement some things that Jacob talks about and uh, write us in with some listener success stories once y'all kill some of these big old bucks. But we will stop talking, guys, and let's tune over to uh, part two of this episode with old Jacob. All right, so let me ask you this. I've got a bunch of other questions. One is about uh, sign reading here. How do you differentiate between what you suspect to be nighttime sign in different habitat types in different states and everything like that? What what would How would you describe what you would think nighttime sign would look like versus sign that's probably being made during the day. That's maybe a little bit more huntable and maybe a pattern that you can get kind of key on a little bit better than versus like that stuff that you're thinking is potentially being made at night. Great. Um, so I would, so whenever I, I'm looking, I'm looking for sign in, in relation to the, to like where I consider that buck's security cover to be. So the closer that it gets to what I think he would feel safe in, doesn't necessarily mean that he's for sure betting there. It just means this is where I think he feels safe. The higher the likelihood is that I'm going to justify that sign as key, like really good sign. When you're looking at oftentimes nighttime sign is feeding area sign. It's like travel sign that's far enough away from his bed that um, like you're never going to see him in daylight. If you do, you're going to get lucky. There's not really a way to like like objectively plan for that you know you're just kind of hoping at that point um you know so so anything that's taking it back to just being simple anything that's in the wide open <laughs> like if it's in the wide open and it's really out there like he's not saying that there aren't times where he won't be there but it's probably less likely uh at least in my experience so I'll look for stuff that's in the wide open or appears to be like, okay, I would imagine deer are going to go here to feed. Like this seems like there's a bunch of oaks here. There's an acorn field, like there's, or not acorn, excuse me. There's a big peanut field or there's a soybean field or there's whatever in that general direction. There's nothing that constitutes something that I think a big buck would feel really safe in. Um, meaning like if you're thinking cover, think of lower third cover, right? So like, um, think about it from the perspective of deer operate in that lower third of the, of the canopy, right? So like, if you're walking through a seven or an eight year old pine stand, it could be really thick or it could be wide open underneath. They live their life in that bottom third. So like, they're going to look for the thicket within that pine stand. Like, I'm sure you guys have seen like you'll be walking through like thick pines and it's just wide open, you know, even young pines, but then there's a briar patch, right? Right in the middle of those pines and bam, you'll knock a buck out of that briar patch. That's because it's that lower third cover. That's what he wants to be in. Cause he feels safe. He's like putting something visibly between him and you. 
So when I find sign where there's no way for a buck to do that, I'm not counting it out as a place that I can't potentially see him, but it's like lower on the totem pole, you know, and I'm like not putting as much stake in it. I'm identifying that there's a pattern associated with it, but then my goal is to backtrack from there. Like I have to like find out where he's coming from. Next kind of fault with that is building a pattern. Okay. So you kind of talked about how you're reading this sign in a lot of what you're talking about is rubs. And, and I, I am curious yep. how scrapes also play a factor for some of this. And I'd love for you to maybe discuss that in addition to this, this next question, but how are you trying to figure out, like explain, if you're going to explain this to the listeners that don't understand how you're piecing together a pattern that you think a specific buck's doing. And the thing is we're talking about backtracking without trail cameras specifically yep. here. Okay. Yep. So, you know, past guests like Jeff Hoban, who we've had on from the podcast or had Episode on from Alabama, 122 with Jeff Hoban. Um, he backtracks deer, but he's using trail cameras. So he does a lot of what you're talking about, but he just keeps leapfrogging trail cameras further and further back until he catches that buck you know, daylighting multiple times a day or at least a couple times a day. And then, you know, goes and tries to kill him. Uh, and he has a ton of success doing that. But we're talking about how to do this without trail cameras specifically here for the most part. So if you're talking about trying to, you know, you're trying to find that pattern that a specific buck is doing based off sign that he's specifically leaving, finding his track, um, if the ground is, you know, uh, able to really hold a good track. How are you trying to explain to the listeners, really explain to us too, how are you going about kind of in your mind and using Onyx and everything, building out what this pattern potentially looks like based off security cover, based off the sign reading you're finding, and, you know, his overall destination that he's going to get to at some point later in the night. How are you kind of building that pattern out to figure out where you need to actually step in and, and actually hang a stand in order to be able to get a shot opportunity? Cool. So that's, I think that it's, I think that this, this applies to, uh, there's a bunch of things that I could talk about there. <laughs> um, you guys are, uh, if they, if you, if your other uh, guests haven't told you, you're good at asking questions. Um, so, uh, you know, you think you show up to this thing prepared and all of a sudden you get, you get questions that make you think like that. Um, so the best way to start is to understand deer movement. And I'm going to refer back to the podcast that you guys have done. Uh, you guys could plug the, podcast with MSU I believe the MSU Deer Lab folks or anybody who's the guy that does the trail camera studies that you guys have done so uh well Shane, we've had a couple of private individuals do it but uh scientific studies we've had uh 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 not from MSU but from uh Georgia uh University okay. of Georgia, Michael, Chamberlain. Michael Chamberlain we talked a bunch about deer and studies there Shane and, Parker and did then, his own thing and then also Bill Thompson from uh Spartan Forge kind of some of the studies that they've kind of opened up the doors to Awesome. So, so a lot, one of the things that I think that the, if the listeners haven't listened to those, and I believe we've talked about this is bucks have a tendency to move in an oval, right? Like that's what they do. Like they don't move in a perfect square or a big circle, like in the rut, they may make these giant loops, but once again, we're going to, we're, we're, I want to preface this and remind everybody that's like, we're talking about this in the, in the scope of September through October 30th. And then, and then really you could just scratch November entirely and then go December 1st to December to January 1st, you know, well, that's Jake, most people's. I was going to say, Jacob, that's for most people's ruts, but a lot of you guys that live in the Southeast, I, I know, like I know. us, I it's like, man, rut ain't here till yeah. January. So. We, got, we got a bachelor group this afternoon, <laughs> <laughs> November 4th. Yeah. So, so we okay. have plenty of time to use what Jacob's talking about, but Jacob, please continue. Yeah. So same principle applies. So if your season opens in October and your rut goes until 
February, you know, it's the same principle. So just adjust the dates to your applicable scene. So anyways, um, make sure I have my train of thought correct for this. So bucks move in an oval. Um, when you're looking at sign, like think about where they're going and where like the whole where they're going and where they're coming from is like, I can't harp that enough. Like a lot of guys want to find a good rub and then they just want to sit like on the rub or on the scrape or on the sign. Like the first thing you need to do when you find that sign is ask yourself the question, why is this here? And when would he be here? And like, look around, like every piece of sign should give you pause pause and reason to like look at everything else in the surrounding area like i did obviously it's like oh man this is an impressive rub admire it it's cool like oh man a big buck was right here but once you've gone through that like mental like stoke of the fact that you found a big rub or a big giant scrape stop and look around like is there a bedding area up on the ridge above you is is it in the wide open in the middle of nothing and there's like no habitat diversity for a mile each direction like what are those other pieces that you can gain from the co from the collective environment surrounding that sign so when you do that i think oftentimes what you'll notice is like you'll be like the puzzle the pieces are simple right like you can you can answer a lot of these questions yourself from the perspective of like just what when you see that you go, when would a buck feel safe being here making this sign? If it's a rub or a scrape, would he feel safe being here in the morning, in the evening, in broad daylight or at night? A lot of those, a lot of sign you can, you can pretty much justify as nighttime sign. Like it just so happens that they make a lot of sign at night. And a lot of the time it's in that, like, it's in that, like food, like it's in their feeding area. That's what they want um but i think what's important to remember about that is like when you're when you're mapping out that pattern for a buck you're mapping out like that loop that he's doing or what his process is is you're saying okay i found sign now let's let's relate this to security does he like just like i was saying does he feel safe so if he feels safe there you can Maybe you're barging through a thicket and you find a scrape in or on the edge of the thicket. Well, that could be, and there's very good possibility that he could hit that in daylight. So now you have to start looking around there and identifying, is there a frequency of sign that would justify that being a main hub for him? Or is that a one-off? Um, and that could be dependent upon the size of the rub or, or scrape. Like if it's a volleyball size scrape that he just hit while he was cruising through, this thick area, it might not mean anything. If it's the size of a car hood and it's like caved out into the ground, you might want to take note of that and then start expanding on the area to identify like, hey, he wouldn't make a scrape like this or be at it enough like if he didn't feel good about being here and will likely come back. So um, anyways, trying not to try not to like uh, get through too thrown off here. Old ginger bow hunters over there fiddling. Yeah, I know. I know. We had one camera down, so I had to switch out uh, power cables. Um, it, well, in, in addition, we're talking about like the whole the whole pattern aspect because I think this is something that's very applicable for a, a lot of listeners who've who've kind of like struggled with this. And you've kind of mentioned the sign aspect and how like trying to put all the pieces together. 
when you're trying to find that specific buck that you're you're really trying to go after, and you're you're reading the sign that tells you like, hey, you know, more than likely he meets your criteria based off a lot of the sign he's reading in this track, okay? And, and you're not necessarily putting you, you probably don't have an observation of that deer until you actually make a sit and hopefully get an observation. For the I usually guy, don't have I usually don't have eyes on him until I shoot him. Even better. Uh, that, that's the way I like it. I don't want to know what he looks like until he walks by. I'm like, oh yeah, he's plenty good enough. Let's. let's. Yeah, that's exactly how it goes. So, yeah. how does somebody implement this that also maybe doesn't have the amount of time that say yourself or me specifically has to hunt? Okay, so you're talking to like the average listener here that might have a Saturday and then maybe part of a day Sunday in order to go hunt each week if they're lucky enough. Um, you know, some people may have a whole weekend they can hunt and then every now and then, you know, take off some work to have like a long weekend, you know, three, four day weekend based off everything that we've had in this talk about this conversation, how can somebody implement what you're talking about in a shorter time span? Is it even physically, is it, uh, is it possible, is it feasibly possible for somebody to be be able to do that with that limited time? Uh, So it's a matter of expectations is important to understand. And like, the answer to that question is like scout twice, hunt once. So if you have just a weekend to hunt and you have one sit to make it count, like, would you rather that sit be like, Oh man, I feel ready to go in this spot. Or you're just going out to sit and like, you have no, you have no bearing on what's happening. Right. So like, let's say, which, once again, uh, like with work and travel, there's a lot of times where I only get a weekend. So I may be in a state, uh, when I hunted Minnesota last year, we had three weeks of work there. So from Monday to Friday, I was working and I would leave Friday and I would drive two hours to a piece of public that I liked. I'd park my truck Friday night, get a good night's sleep, and I'd be in the woods scouting or I'd try to scout Friday night if I could really wing it. If I couldn't get there to scout Friday night, I'd scout Saturday morning and then I would start hunting Saturday afternoon or Sunday morning through Sunday evening, depending on your state. Um, and if you have, you know, any of the crazy laws like we have in North Carolina, you can't hunt on Sundays. So, but the point being is like, you want to make sure that, that you're scouting as much or more than you're hunting. Um, I don't want to take away from anybody's time in the woods, but I think it's important, like we talked about earlier, when Andrew asked that question about um like about just feeling like you have a wasted time like you're you're wasting time right you're never wasting time if you're in the woods you're just you're doing something else that's bringing value to the puzzle right and let's say you're a weekend let's say you're a weekend guy and or gal and you're hunting um and you you're hunting your local state land you're, you, you know that every weekend over the course of the season or every other weekend, you're going to be hunting there. As like the good thing about this process and this strategy and when, when you're scouting a lot is you'll identify parts of the property that will likely always be good. And the reason for that is because bucks have a tendency to associate to habitat and terrain types um, that they like, but also a lot of the times you'll find that people routinely are fairly habitual in the places that they like to go to. So you may be able to, over the course of a couple weekends, identify the one, two, three, or four spots on a thousand acre property. And then every other weekend in perpetuity, 
for forever, you can be making really strategic sits, you know, really strategic hunts because you've spent the time walking and you're still going to walk, you know, when you feel like you need to. But if you, if you know the area on a property, like let's say it's a thousand acre piece, you've whittled it down to a hundred acres and there's two stand sites there that you feel like this is, if I was going to kill a buck, it would be in one of these two 20 acre or 30 acre patches within this area. Well, you go sit that and then on your way out of the woods, you scout it. And then you make an adjustment for the next day. And everything you're doing becomes much more targeted because of the fact that you put boots on the ground as a priority, not hunting as a priority. Like it's all, I say that it's all hunting, but it's hunting with a definitive end goal. Like, you know what I mean? It's not, you're, you're not just doing something to do it like that. I can't harp on that enough. Like that's the whole, the whole point of being intentional. Um, I say that that's a third word, uncomfortable, uh, unconventional and intentional. <laughs> so two U's and an I. <laughs> um, so I, I think that that's, you know, just, just be like, be intent on where you're going, you know, like that whole, like the whole, yeah. Don't, don't be sitting in a tree, just hoping for something to happen. Be feeling like you could be ready for something to happen. Like, Oh, I'm in the right spot. I'm here. And if it doesn't happen, that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It just means that like, you got to scout some more. Um, yeah. At, at speaking as the guy who, like, is very often the case of, like, mm -hmm. what you're talking about, getting to hunt, like, this weekend, for instance. I got I had Saturday to hunt. That's it. I can't hunt tomorrow. And uh, and I didn't really get to hunt last weekend at all. Um, as, I, as I, like, try to hone this, you know, and, and like, that's just kind of where I'm at in life right now, and that's, like, that's the amount of time I get what has helped me and i'm just saying this maybe because it'll help a listener is like you got to learn how to be decisive about stuff like yeah. that's I, for me that's what it's really ended up coming down to is like you got to quit second guessing and you just got to be decisive and and start making decisions now i say that after i spent 45 minutes in the same spot trying to figure out which tree to get in you know and it, yeah and but it, that's I mean, but yeah but that's good i would consider but see that's the thing that 45 minutes was you being decisive like had you just walked in and threw a set in any old tree, like I'm sure that when you were sitting there trying to pick your tree, you were taking into account like where your wind was going to go, where the buck might come from, what food he's going to like, if he's, if you're hunting a feed tree, where he's going to eat, which direction he's going to come from, where like, those are all parts of the equation that are like made up of decisiveness. If you were just throwing sits willy nilly all the time, and you never had those moments, then I would be telling you, Hey, you need to slow down, like, sl like slow down, think about where you're going to set. Like there's a lot of times where like, I'll start putting sticks on the tree two or three times mm -hmm. in a hang and be like, ah, this is not, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. And sometimes it bites me because sometimes I walk an area up too much and a buck comes in and smells where I walked and I watch him run away. But at least I know that my strategy worked. And I can implement that elsewhere. Like the whole live to fight another day thing is very real. You know, like your life is not made or broke on a singular hunt. It's made on your success over time, like your collective knowledge. So like you're better to be more aggressive and learn more than you are to be more reserved and learn less. 
Oh, dude, I, that's I, good. That, that's a that's an excellent quote there. And I, I'm really gr- glad, Jacob, you're able to kind of, again, explain and simplify the whole idea and the thought process for that weekend warrior type of hunter who has a day or maybe a day and a half, maybe if he's lucky, two days to hunt a week uh, or every other week for that matter, and how he can implement this. And, and also how you mentioned that it almost seems like some of these spots that these mature bucks like to use can be historical. During certain times of the year, the sign's always there. As long as pressure doesn't really change, other you know, as long as it's just you in there, you know, this maybe this is one of those episodes, guys. You don't share it with all your hunting buddies in the hunting club, okay? <laughs> well, um, well <laughs> even if it even if it does change, and even if there is pressure, like, um, you kind of got to look at like the it's like um diminishing resources, right? So, like for example, um, a, as our world <laughs> urbanizes and people hunt and do more stuff, like. Um, this is actually something I, I learned like when I was really trying to tie into like land management with the club was like looking at taking a 10,000 foot view and looking at the land in and of itself and going, what can we provide our deer that everyone else isn't able to provide? Right. So a good example of that would be ag country. So if you are in a lease and everything around you is big peanut fields, well, those deer can eat everywhere. So you're never going to win that battle, but you can win the battle at having the best security cover or, you know, that's, that's a battle you can win. And for vice versa, if you're in a big open timber area where there's just tons and tons of timber and no food, you could be the guy with all the food, you know, and, and the same thing applies on, on like your public is like, if you're on public land or your private land and you're looking at your landscape and you go, this you know, even if you're not the only one to hunt it. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is like, if we have a bunch of listeners and, and like, let's say everybody goes out and they find all these spots and then they're all stoked about them. And then somebody else goes in and hunts in there next season. Like, it doesn't mean you should entirely forego the place. It just means you should look at it and go, is this the only place that that buck can survive in the given area? If it is, that buck is going to have to work around that pressure just like you will. So you have to then uh, like put your thinking cap on and like figure it out, you know, but you shouldn't just trash a property because somebody else goes in there and hunts it. Um, you know, I, it, it's hard. It's kind of a balancing act, right? It's like, it's like, you don't want, you don't want to like just constantly be hunting places that everybody else is hunting, but you also don't want to, you don't want to give up a spot just because somebody else is hunting it. So you're kind of in this in-between and it's a personal judgment decision. And, and I think it's widely based on whether or not the property can sustain the amount of pressure and the amount of like intrusion that you and somebody else is putting on it. Or if that buck just has nowhere else to go. So let's say you hunt a piece of public that's surrounded by housing communities. Well, if there's a mature buck that's living on that property or year over year, there usually is a mature buck that's there. He really doesn't have anywhere else to go. Like he may go into those communities and come out, but remember he's being bumped around in there all the time too. Like, so he's still going to use that giant woodlot. It's just when and where. So it's, you know, whether there's pressure or not, if the law of diminishing returns favors security, like, or the law of diminishing resources favors security, then that's what you can prioritize. And you can, you know, take into account that maybe one person on that landscape is not going to actually mess you up that bad. It may move him around a little bit, but, you know, don't don't scratch something off just because another person goes there. 
Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com, use the the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you could head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. 
Jacob, one thing I just kind of realized, and maybe you did answer this uh, way early in the podcast, but I don't remember if you did. You know, you talked about like kind of hunting your way into these, these spots and scouting your way into some of these spots and actually, you know, setting up stands. What exactly are you looking to set a stand up over, though? Like, is it like closer to some of the sun? Is it a trail? Is it a scrape? Is it just in that bedding thicket? What exactly are you like, this is where I need to be during the time of the season that we're talking about, which is kind of that early season pre-rut time period and then kind of that later season? It's the combination of things. So it's just like um, I'm sure your your listeners are familiar with you guys talking about um, what's that word? compounding features <laughs> uh you guys can't if you if you're listening on spotify you can't see andrew and jacob acknowledging that statement right there <laughs> go to youtube guys go to they're YouTube. stoked about some compounding features yes, yeah go watch them are. on youtube um it's the same thing with your sign so obviously like typically if you're finding once again i'll preface this with saying because i'm sure there'll be some haters out there that Salt say all sorts of garbage like i find scrapes with no no trail around all the time it's like no no like i get it you know there could be a buck running wild through the woods and he just throws a scrape down that's I, it happens um once again i'm trying to play the game with the buck that wants to play the game with me um so anyways i'm looking for compounding features when it applies to sign and the security cover that i'm looking for right so if i'm trying to choose something to hang over first i'm trying to determine is it morning or is it evening so if it's in the afternoon it's it has nothing to do with where he's eating and it has everything to do with where he's bedding now i don't very rarely do i go sit over the bed it, itself but it's identifying how close I think I can get based on the cover type that he's betting in. If he's in the middle of a clear cut, well, I'm going to push my luck as close as I possibly can because that joker might not be able to see me. And he also is not going to want to leave there in daylight. So I'm going to need to be pretty close. If it's a buck that's living in a small patch of thick stuff in the middle of open hardwoods, he's used to standing up and moving if he feels good. So he may stand up and move 150 yards at last light. So if I can get into that bubble, then I'm good. So um, I'm, I'm determining first anyways, morning or evening. So is he, am I hunting him coming to bed or going from bed? Um, if I'm hunting him coming to bed in the morning, then I'm looking for compounding sign that relates to compounding features in or near a bedding area. So a lot of times I find that those deer want to travel habitat edges or habitat diversity back to bed with an emphasis on traveling to and from safely. So remember in the morning, a lot of the time they're traveling either right at first light or in light or at risk of being caught in light. So what that means is their emphasis is on security more maybe than even the evening because of the fact that they're kind of just waiting until like that, window of time happens and then everything starts to dark like get dark and then they just kind of get up and they go on their way and i feel like they're a little bit bolder in the morning they're very deliberate i feel like about their path and travel back to bed so you have to be deliberate about getting between them so i usually am looking for <clears throat> i'm looking for sign that i think he'll hit on his way back to bed um, usually those are scrapes or areas like rubs may signify that he's rubbing on a path of travel back to bed um, but scrapes close to bedding 
um, and just general buck sign, be it tracks that are ju- that are justifiably close to where I think he's betting. Once again, I don't always know where he is, but I'm under the assumption that this this in a in comparison to everything else on the property that I have looked at, this seems to be the most likely place that a buck would safely bed and feel good. Everything is in his advantage here. Wind is in his advantage. He has access in his advantage. He's winning where he is. So uh, then you look for those compounding features and compounding sign. That's that's morning. You're looking for him coming back, trying to do that. For evening, it's compounding sign coming out of betting. So I'm not getting as close, right? So for example, in the morning, I may get right up there on the beds. Like, well, I say that, not on the beds, but in the general area. Like I may be, I may be sitting right on the edge of the thicket like in the morning, expecting that I'm like going to see him or be really close on his path of travel. In the evening, it's it might be too risky for me to get that close. So I'm looking for compounding sign associated to his path of travel that I think is the beginning of that oval loop that we talked about. And that oval loop is going to depend on the time of the year. So if it's pre-rut, that oval is going to be focused on he's checking sign and he, like he's checking scrapes and he's checking doe bedding areas and trying to determine like where his ladies are at and like, you know, who's, who's coming into Estra soon, where are they at? Like he's just monitoring. Right. So that oval is going to put an emphasis on that. Now, will it still hit food for sure, but it's going to lean the further you get towards rut, the more it's going to lean towards like where the ladies are. In early season and in late season, that oval of his path of travel is focused on like food to cover. And I even feel like it becomes more of a line than an oval. Like a lot of times I'll see like mature bucks where they'll go, they'll go straight from bedding to food and then straight back from food to bedding the way that they came, especially when leaves are off, like on the trees in the Southeast. If you're hunting big open bottomland country and there's no leaves on the trees, like those bucks do not like being in the wide open and they're going to find the safest route that they can. Like if it's, if it's trees holding leaves late, if it's a little bit of cover on the ground, if it's some tall grass, whatever it is, they're going to like cut that travel as little as they possibly can, you know? So in, in a long way of answering that in the morning, uh, be focused on tight to bedding, compounding sign with compounding habitat features. Um, in the evening, uh, compounding sign and compounding features, but further away from bedding within proximity of it, right? So he's not necessarily, not that he won't hit scrapes and stuff in the bedding area right at dark, he might, but he's probably already hit that in the morning. So he knows what was there. So he's going to drop off that hill or he's going to come out of that bedding area and he's going to hit that first visible sign that opens up to the world, right? Like that sign is like his doorway to the, to the respective landscape, you know, and he's going to hit that scrape and then he's going to stand there and ponder the world and take a look around, you know, until it gets dark enough that he feels safe going for a job. Jacob, uh, we're getting very, very close to uh, wrap it up here. One reason, because we're about to lose all the cameras about to about die. to lose a couple cameras here. But um, <laughs> real, Jacob, real quick, can you give me some examples of uh, compounding sign, uh, both in that morning and evening setting aspect? Uh, I would say so. Compounding sign, 
pine in the morning uh, would be path of travel rubs back to scrapes that are right adjacent to the habitat type that you think he's bedding in. So let's say you have um, going and coming rubs. So what I mean by that is not necessarily rubs where he's rubbing both sides of the tree, although you can find that at times. It's just it's not always realistic to be able to determine whether he is using that in the morning or the even evening explicitly. It's just identifying, okay, there's rubs definitively going north. And then I can also see at an equal level of freshness, like rubs coming back the same way south. Well, that just tells you that, like, if it's one buck, that there's one buck that's making that pattern somewhat routine. It's something that you can, you can put into your equation. If it's multiple bucks, well, that's great. Now you know you got two bucks. <laughs> um, but, but the point being is like, you're looking for, for that specifically. So you're looking for sign that expresses deer going and coming. Uh, and then you're looking for that close to bedding area sign. That's going to be like scrapes that they're going to hit in the bedding area or sign. That's going to be like, right. Probably within 60 yards of their bed that they're going to hit before they lay down. Um, you know, that's usually what I tend to look for. If it's evening sign, I usually find that those are like more like hub type spots. So, so if you guys think about hubs exist both in, in top topo terrain, as well as in the Southeast and flat terrain, they just visually look a little bit different. Your hub in the Southeast may be a hub because it's um, like, there may be a bunch of water there. There may be an Island. There may be a spot, a dry spot in a marsh, um, you know, or in a big, big wide open wet bottom whatever that hub is, that, that could be his hub, just like you have a hub in the mountains where all these fingers dump down. And then that buck is going to drop out of a bowl or drop off the top of a ridge and hit, you know, one of six or eight scrapes in the bottom of this hub, right at dark. Like that's what he wants to do. He wants to go down there and check and see whoever came through all day long. He's like excited about that. That's his thing. You know, so, so in the evening, I'm looking for hubs specifically. Um, I'm not necessarily interested in hunting a hub in the morning. Not that one couldn't be there, but they've usually already hit the hub by the time I'm hunting, right? They're hitting that on the way back to go to bedding. And now I'm like, if you sit there, you're just, you might see sometimes deer, you may see deer passing through, but rarely do I see a buck working a hub in the morning. Rather, I see bucks working hubs in the evening. And then in the morning, I see them having already hit the hub. And then they're going back to hitting just more intimate sign that's close to their, their bedding area. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, Andrew, do you have any other questions or thoughts? No, man, this, this has been a great conversation, man. It's been fun. You have a, like a really analytical mind. And I think that you explained some stuff here that I think we dance around a lot, but you put it in a really easy to understand way. So uh, it's been a, it's been an awesome conversation, man. Uh, I hope I hope so. I'm just a simple guy who <laughs> likes living his Tacoma and hunt deer. So um, <laughs> I feel like I'm, you know, I I'll I'll can I leave everybody with one thing? Absolutely. Is that okay? Oh yeah. The I think the I've said this a bunch of times um, to a bunch of my friends. The number one, the biggest life lesson for me when it came to whitetail hunting, aside from just the whole boots on the ground thing is like remembering that when you're listening to this podcast or you're listening to other podcasts and I listen to a ton of podcasts um, uh, specifically on hunting because like this is my thing this is what I love to do um, but 
all these guys that you see out here, except for the ginger bow hunter last year, most people are not shooting seven or six bucks in a year, right? <laughs> like most of us are shooting a buck a year, like two bucks a year. Even the guys who are the best whitetail hunters I know, like one of the best whitetail hunters I know is like consistently killing two really big bucks a year, like talking 150, 160 class deer per year. Killing three is really freaking hard. Like, you know, so like most of us, like we all put our leg on, like our pants on leg, one leg at a time. We all put our shoes on one foot at a time. Like, um, you know, everybody is still like, you may feel like everybody's killing bucks, but you, or everybody's seeing deer, but you, but in all actuality, like that's so amplified on social media. It's important to remember that like most people are getting one or two good cracks at bucks per year, you know? sometimes more depending on where you live you may see more but in north carolina usually i see and get opportunities at like two to three bucks a year that's and and i have to execute on those if i don't then i don't i had two opportunities at mature bucks last year i executed on one and i got busted on the other like it happens to everybody um whether you're on the southern outdoorsman podcast uh, or you're a guy that owns an industry company, uh, or you're the ginger bow hunter himself. Um, you know, so <laughs> I'm sure we all have stories of that. And, um, you know, I, it's just, it's important to remember, like nothing replaces boots on the ground. We're all in the same bucket. We all are trying to fight for hunting time. Um, you know, it's just the matter of how much time you have dedicated to doing it and learning the individual ground that you're hunting. That's what will determine your success. And then just not letting the rest of the industry and the world and the influence and all that get into your mind. Cause nobody is any further ahead than anybody else. It's just what you know. Absolutely. Well, Jacob greatly appreciate you joining this episode, man. And join us on the podcast has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, may have to get you back on a little bit more to talk uh, about late season hunting at some point. Uh, oh, maybe. dude, that's my favorite. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the time I we, struggle. Listen, I, unless it's, unless it's the rut and I got a gun in my hand, if I'm late season bow hunting, there's nothing more miserable in my mind. So I'd be love to pick <laughs> your brain. Yeah, uh, that's what my trail cam strategy is all for. So well, we're, I'm putting put trail cams in August for December. Well, we're gonna talk, we're gonna have to talk about that in another episode. But um, if anybody wants to reach out to you on social media, how can uh, people follow along with you? Kind of see you know everywhere you travel, but also if they have any specific questions they want to reach out, how can they get a hold of you? Um, you can get a hold of me. Feel free to ask me questions or reach out. My Instagram is usually the best medium for that. Um, so it, my Instagram handle is at the Lyshen. So it's T H E L I S H E N. Um, and, uh, you're more than welcome to find me there. Uh, if you're interested in the work that we do, you can follow us at land limited. Um, you'll be able to find that in my handle and, uh, yeah, give me a shot anytime. Awesome. Jacob, thank Sweet. you again so much for joining us. Listeners, thank y'all for watching. Thank y'all for listening. And remember, hey, by the way, we got some Southern Outdoorsman merch that just hit the uh, website, so go check that out as well. But, guys, make sure you check out this week's uh, Thursday Breakdown outro episode where we're going to talk about this and a lot more. So, again, appreciate y'all watching. Appreciate y'all listening. And we'll catch you back for the next episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. And remember, y'all stay Southern.
All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be. If you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It is an excellent group of people that are going to be there. A lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there. You're going to get to talk to them, shake their hand, learn from them in person, make some connections. And guys, we get a lot of questions about uh, which saddle should I get? Which tree stand should I get? What about this piece of gear? What about that piece of gear? How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.